Jack Smith continues to wrap up his four or so grand jury criminal investigations of Donald Trump and his inner circle to make his charging decision and recommendation. Which will come first, Mar-a-Lago, mail fraud conspiracy on fundraising, or January 6th interference with election and the peaceful transfer of power? We have a new round of proceedings in Trump's 34-count criminal trial brought by the Manhattan DA's office, culminating in a hearing this week. Will Joe Tacopina survive or be disqualified because of his former representation of Stormy Daniels? Will the Manhattan DA's office prevail in its efforts to keep discovery and evidence produced to the defense out of Trump's hands? And more importantly, out of his social media and rallying cries. Finally, we update you on the E. Jean Carroll case against Donald Trump in the Southern District of New York Federal Court. We predicted a mistrial motion early on by the defense, and we got one. But what was the basis and what did the court do with it? And just how is her case and witnesses doing in the courtroom with a six male and three female jury through day five, especially now that Trump has announced that he will not appear at all, providing a permanent empty chair at trial to to the plaintiff. All this and so much more, so much more we don't even know because we don't rehearse or script any of it on the midweek edition of the leading legal and political podcast, Legal AF on the Midas Touch Network with your midweek co-anchors and practicing trial lawyers, Michael Popak and Karen Friedman-Ignifolo. Hi, Karen. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. You're at a remote location to be not named, but I'm glad you're with us. Thank you for doing that today. <laughs> and we can dive right in because we got a lot to talk about. How are you doing, first of all? I'm doing great. Uh, this yeah. whole work from anywhere remote has just freed up so many people to be able to do so much. Yeah, it used to be so different, right? Yep. And now we're going to get in in the chat uh, tonight, we're going to get, of course, comments about my painting behind me and your artwork in the room of your choice and and all of that. But that's not why people come to Legal AF to talk about what you and I are wearing or not wearing. Where are my glasses? Where are yours? How big are they? And all that. We They come... They come, they come for that, but they stay for the legal and political analysis and at that at that corner of law and politics that you and I occupy. And so let's let's get right in. Let's talk about your old office. For those that are just joining as followers or listeners or watchers, Karen Freeman McNifolo, former number two in the Manhattan DA's office, she would be running the prosecution of Donald Trump right now under Alvin Bragg, if she was Alvin Bragg's right-hand person. So she's got that insider view, former longtime prosecutor, and and she'll do it from that perspective. I often do it from a, a defense lawyer perspective, having not been a prosecutor. And together, we reach recommendations, conclusions, and analysis. Sometimes we agree, sometimes we don't agree. The best part is when we don't agree, respectfully. Um, and we'll see what happens today. We don't know. We don't practice. We don't rehearse. We'll dive right in. So let me set the stage and then I'll turn it over to you about what is going on with the motion practice in the Manhattan District Attorney's 34-count criminal prosecution of Donald Trump for crimes related to business record fraud, tax evasion, and other things arising out of the hush money payoff of Stormy Daniels uh, so that she wouldn't go public with the uh, this, uh, affair is... is is too romantic to the sex act that she participated in with Donald Trump at some point while he was married and on the campaign trail. And we now have in front of Judge Mershon, who is the presiding judge over this case. He's the presiding judge over a lot of cases involving Donald Trump. He was also the presiding judge 
as our, our regular listeners and followers know, on the 17 count conviction of all things Trump organization for tax fraud. Many of the same players and, and defense lawyers involved again, but we got two major issues I want you to, to talk about with our, with, our, with our fans here, our listeners and followers. One, the Manhattan, your old office brought a motion for protective order to stop Donald Trump from having direct access without babysitting supervision of his lawyers to the evidence that has been provided to the defense that's required for due process and other constitutional protections. They want him to be not left alone with the documents, citing to Mar-a-Lago and his sticky fingers there. And they don't want him commenting on social media, in public rallies, about witnesses, about transcripts that are provided, about wit evidence that's provided, the grand jury transcript and the rest. Moving towards sort of a quasi-gag order thing that we'll talk about and Mershon having to balance as a judge First Amendment rights of a presidential candidate against what uh, the uh, legitimate uh, goals of the Manhattan DA. That's topic one. Topic two is Joe Tacopina. <laughs> we're we're going to talk about, we have two segments where, that are going to be attached by Joe Tacopina. Joe Tacopina got a phone call apparently from Stormy Daniels at some point to, to, when he was looking for, when she was looking for representation. So there, the Manhattan DA is raised with the judge and the judge is holding an evidentiary hearing about whether Joe Tacopina can continue as the lawyer for Donald Trump in this case, based on that interaction. And then we'll talk, of course, talk about Joe Tacopina in the later segment about E. Jean Carroll. What is going on in Judge Bershon's courtroom tomorrow, Karen? Well, let's talk a little bit about the protective order. So if you so just really quick to update everybody on New York discovery rules and, and what that is and what that means is essentially New York has what we call open file discovery, meaning your entire file minus a few things like work pro attorney work product, but all documents related to a case have to be turned over to the defense in pretty short order, right after arraignment. It's about 45 days uh, from the time of arraignment. So, so a case like this is going to have mountains of evidence that will have to be turned over to the defense. And that's what we call discovery, is, is all of that information. And if you recall when Donald Trump was arraigned before Judge Marchand, the uh, def the prosecutor said that we are working on an agreed upon protective order to negotiate with Trump's lawyers how we will manage this discovery because really what what the interest of the court will be and the prosecution will be it will is that uh, this case will be tried in court, not in the, the trial, not in the court of public opinion, which is what Donald Trump likes to do. And so in anticipation of that, because it could taint potential jurors, it could impact the case uh, in ways that are inappropriate, the prosecutor said, oh, we're in the process of working out a protective order and, and we think we're going to be able to work that out with the defense. And I think if you remember, I said to you, um, oh, we're going to be, we're going to be back in court way before the adjourned date of November because there is no way they are going to agree because Trump's lawyers do nothing but obstruct, obstruct, obstruct. So that to me was ridiculous to even think that they would agree. And sure enough, here we are. 
Uh, here we are in a situation where the prosecutor is requesting a protective order that would mean, sure, Trump and your lawyers have access to everything. We want to turn everything over, but you can't Trump, we don't trust you, a la Mar-a-Lago. So you don't get to look at it except when you're with your lawyers. So they have to babysit you essentially. And on top of that, you can't use this or discuss it in the public realm. And this is not uncommon. In fact, my husband just tried a big case in the uh, federal courts in the Eastern District uh, involving a big financial uh, fraud case. And they had such exactly this protective order. The defense was not permitted to, uh, the defendant was not permitted to review the any discovery by the federal prosecutors except in the lawyer's office. Um, it was, you know, a big challenge because it was during COVID and there was all these lockdowns. And so it was a huge logistical challenge, but it didn't matter. It's a very serious thing for the government. Uh, and so and so it is done in in certain cases. And this is the type of case where it's going to be done. And of course, you know, who doesn't like this? The media organizations, they don't like it because they want to have access to the materials, right? Every lawyer, every armchair lawyer under the sun wants to try this case and they want to analyze the documents and they want to, you know, try this case from their office and then comment on it. And obviously, again, that that can impact and infect a criminal prosecution because there is no witness testimony under oath on cross-examination. These are just documents out of context, but you will have every single lawyer, myself included and you included, will go through all of these documents with a fine tooth comb and we'll say, hey, what about this? What about this? Oh my God, this looks terrible. How is this gonna work out? And so to, and, and that will impact, you know, that that is essentially trying the case in the court of public opinion and that will impact a potential future trial and a future, um, a future jury. And so a bunch of media organizations, including NBC, ABC, everybody, uh, they, they basically filed a motion asking the court not to limit the public availability and say that they oppose this protective order. And guess who signed this motion with the media organization? Oh. <laughs> you are, you are my favorite former, no, the former guy. <laughs> TFG, um, he signed it, of course, because he does. He he wants to be able to try this in the court of public opinion. I mean, because think about it, he'll he'll have access to this. So will his lawyers. So there's really one reason, one reason only for him to want this to go out in the public. It's because because he wants to. Well, he wants to impact the future jury. To to that point, I mean, in their filings, and this was filed by Todd Blanche, the uh, late arriving new criminal, many lawyers that late arrived for Donald Trump. This one came in just before the arraignment that we covered, but a well-respected guy had represented Manafort in the past successfully in front of the same office and on a matter in front of the same office. Susan Necklace, who's a well-respected criminal defense lawyer in town. She was on the losing end of the 17 count criminal conviction by the jury that your old office <laughs> brought against Donald Trump's organization. So that there you have that. And then Joe Tacopina, who, uh, you know, I always joke with is busy, you know, filling out his coloring book during most of these hearings, but seems to want to stay in the case. <clears throat> he, they're very public in their filings. They said that, well, the 
the Manhattan DA's office gets to talk about things that happen in the grand jury, which I don't think is true. Um, yeah, Alvin they Bragg, don't talk uh, about things. Alvin Bragg gets to stand at a podium and talk about things, which is not true. Um, Michael Cohen, time. he did one time. Michael Cohen gets to quote unquote incessantly talk about everything, and uh, <laughs> you'll you'll respond to that. Uh, well, that one is, so that one is true. <laughs> <laughs> and so why doesn't Donald Trump, who is the, and this is their words, not mine, the leading Republican candidate for president, I would have put it a different way, the leading candidate to, to, for the for the Republican nomination, but the leading Republican candidate for president, he has a First Amendment right, a right that the judge acknowledged during the arraignment that he was going to have to balance First Amendment rights because the issue of gag order sort of got touched on, if you remember, Karen, at the arraignment. And the judge True, said, yeah. eh, I'm not ready to gag anybody right now, and I'm sensitive to the First Amendment. And the way I read the motion from your old office is it's court, sort of a quasi-protective order slash gag order because it is asking the judge to enter an order that Donald Trump cannot comment on the evidence that is being turned over in discovery to him in the public domain, in social media, at his rallies, and all the things we know he, he's, he's itching to do. It's a gag order. And that's going to be the hearing, I believe, tomorrow, on Thursday, and we'll, and we'll cover it off the weekend. So- you, I'm sure you've been involved with plenty of high-profile matters where the judges had to weigh this. But this is, as we often say, when people say, put him in jail, lock him up. Why are they treating him any differently? Because he's the ex-president of the United States and he's a current candidate for office. And so there, there are considerations that have to be weighed. How do you think this is going to play out, knowing now both sides, knowing what both sides filed and the media? How do you think, what do you think the result should be with Judge Mershon? What it should be or what it will be. Um, both. I think, both. <laughs> I, think I, I think I think it should be. I think the prosecutor should win because I, I really do think the sanctity of the criminal justice process and, and, and keeping this as a trial in court and not in the court of public opinion is important. You know, whether you no matter what you think of Donald Trump, he's entitled to a fair trial. And so is the government. And so let the chips fall where they may. Uh, but for that reason, I think that's what they should do. And again, I think that there are many examples of cases where this type of protective order is in place. The trickier part of this, though, is the media. And the media has a First Amendment right to access uh, this information. That's the trickier question. And that's a harder bar, I think, to it's it's much easier to say to Donald to to I think the 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 defendant um, and his you know the protective order vis-a-vis -vis the defendant and his lawyers because he does get to see all of this he does get to prepare for his own defense I do think that is is an easier call I think the call of the media having access uh, is is going to be a trickier one for Mershon so we'll see I mean look he closed the arraignment right he closed the arraignment and um, you know to a limited group of people and he kept it so there weren't any cameras it wasn't live streamed it was you know print reporters who were allowed to be in there and and we didn't hear anything for like 45 minutes if you remember we were saying oh my god what's going on because an arraignment doesn't take this long you know we knew something something was going on in there so he he has so far balanced things and and limited yeah. it to keep so we'll see how he he's going to figure out a way to balance this um, he might, what he might do is, um, 
I don't know. He might, I, I don't know, actually. I, I don't know. I don't know how, because every time I come up with a, um, a compromise, I, I argue with myself in my head. So um, I have well, people like that part. People, people like to hear the, somebody, somebody <laughs> wrote on social media. We like when Karen takes contrarian positions on things. Um, yeah, you know, listen, contrarian so, to you, not to myself. I'm like taking a position <laughs> in my head and then I'm arguing with myself in my head and I'm yeah, like, nah, that's, that's not right. going to work. You know? we're, we're sausage made here. I, I, I agree with you um, that this judge has been very thoughtful and, and ponderous and uh, about the decision-making. He's trying to thread this ne needle and be even-keeled and balanced in how he treats both sides. And as we reported, we were getting reporting from reporters in the room in real time, but it, there was always a little bit of a delay. Then we had those Midas Touch cameras, which Lord knows how the brothers figured out a way to get cameras down there about him, his coming and going. But it's not just going to – I agree with you. It's going to be some compromised – position. I don't think the Manhattan DA is going to get everything that they asked for. Supervision of documents, yes. <laughs> um, some limitation on the commentary, yes. Um, and how he, and how he um, because he's also said, don't do things that incite civil disobedience or, or unrest. And he's worried about that too. And we see Donald Trump all the time telling his his uh, his uh, followers, his uh, MAGA people, to pick up pitchforks and torches and and points them in a direction. There is the monster. Go after the monster, and the monster being democracy and Democrats. Um, so he's 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 sensitive to that. The judges read everything. Manhattan DA did a good job of putting together a lot of the evidence of of. Uh, Trump's misconduct, what he will do if he gets this material judge is obvious. Here's what he's done in the past. Um, you know, the counter argument to that from Necklace and um, Necklace and um, and Todd Blanche, uh, if I read their papers correctly, let me just see if I had it, was he has a right, and this is this is the rub. This is where the judge is gonna have to, as you said, be thoughtful as he's always been about it, the balance. They say he has a right to respond to the voting public, right? Um, to um, respond and publicly defend himself against these charges. You know, we know there is there are things that defense lawyers will do, unless gagged, that will do about a case uh, and talk and and try to get away with as much as they can to defend in the public arena before they get into a jury, uh, unless the judge in the state court system gags them. And this this is the rub. But let's wrap up that. Any other thoughts about what the prediction on Mershon? And then yeah, we can so talk just, about Takapina. Just one more thought, which is, this is a very tricky thing to execute if there are restrictions, because really a protective order on discovery means you can't show this document, right? Or you can't, um, you can't, show things to the public, right? But he's going to just talk in his generalities. They don't have any evidence. I've seen all the evidence. They don't have anything on me. He's going to say things like that, or he's going to say, there's not one single whatever he's going to say, or, right, he's going to talk about it in generalities. I think that is going to, that that the prosecutor is going to, or, or things that he'll say, well, I knew about that already. I had that already, or I read about that in Michael Cohen's book. So I didn't get that from, you know, this discovery. So I don't know what they're talking about. This is, you know, he's going to do it in a way, the way he does everything, that he still does it. And so I think it's going to be a very tricky thing to enforce, no matter how they, 
how how it's uh, how it's written. But I it, this yeah. this is the this is going to be the trickiest part of the whole trial, in my opinion. Very 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 uh, fascinating observation on that. Let's let's do a quickie on Takapina. I framed it before we started, and I, I'd like your comment on it. They're going to they the Susan Hoffinger, who you know well, friend of yours from the office. Um, filed the motion asking for a Gromberg inquiry. You'll talk about the Gromberg inquiry, which sounds like a, uh, you know, a, a Ludlow book, the Gromberg inquiry, uh, about the relationship, if any, between Takapina and Stormy Daniels when she was looking for counsel and how that impacts representation of Donald Trump. The judge has ordered Takapina to turn over all communications that he had with Stormy Daniels, any information that was shared, and any information that was shared between him and Trump about the contact he had with Stormy Daniels. Judge wants to know about that too. Talk about what is the Gromberg inquiry and how do you think that's going to play with this judge and Takapina's? Takapina in or out? Yeah. So anyone who's ever watched a, a a show on TV about lawyers and, and judges and trials, et cetera. You hear lawyers say, I can't represent this person. I have a conflict. And the question is, what does that mean? And it means you can't, so there's this attorney client privilege. And you, when you, when you represent someone, you can't then, so let's say I hire you as my attorney Popak on something and I share my deepest, darkest secrets with you as a as my lawyer because it's important for the representation you can't then go represent the opposing side and then use those deepest darkest secrets of mine against me nor can you say oh trust me i won't right there's a conflict there and there are ethical rules surrounding those conflicts some are some are are not waivable even you know by by um, the defendant who is Donald Trump right now because he's not the one who holds it right Stormy Daniels has has it in this particular instance so this is going to come down to a factional scenario whether an attorney client relationship was established and if so is he conflicted out of the case? And on the one hand, Takapina is saying, well, she called my office and someone from my office wrote certain things down in the computer. I never talked to her. But and then but then he goes on TV and is defending her. So he clearly had enough information and represented to the world that he was representing her. So I think he's going to have a hard time saying uh, saying that there was that there is not a conflict. And um, I think he's out. That's my prediction. I, I think this is, yeah. you know, it's not because it, it would be one thing if it was in another matter, but it's in it's in this case, right? He represented yeah. the victim in this case. So and I, the Grom, I think the Gromberg inquiry is is really focused on if Trump if Trump can. I never understood it. It it's if it, Trump can re continue to retain him knowing about the representation. Why yeah, isn't so it just an ethical conflict and he's out? It is usually. I mean, usually these hearings are that. It's that, hey, you know, Trump, did you realize that your client might know information that could help you from representing Stormy Daniels, when, from the representation of Stormy Daniels, but he can't use that in your case. Are you okay with that? Like they, the, a, a hearing like this will spell out all the ways that this conflict could hurt Trump and make sure he's still okay with it. But that, that's really what happens in, in this type of hearing. But I don't know. I, I don't see the judge being okay with it here, but we'll see. We'll see what, yeah. what happens. 
Yeah, and whether whether for the Gromberg hearing to to really be meaningful, whether Trump has to has to uh, participate, um, which would be interesting if that were to happen. But we'll follow it. I agree with you on your instincts. Um, we're going to talk in the next segment about uh, E. Jean Carroll and her case against Donald Trump, which is already in full swing, five full days. E. Jean Carroll has already testified, as have at least two corroborating witnesses for her, one in spectacular fashion. Yesterday, we've got a motion for mistrial, and we'll talk about, uh, which we predicted would happen <laughs> even before E. Jean Carroll was off the stand, brought by the defense. Uh, and then we have um, an announcement that Donald Trump isn't even going to bother to show up for his own trial. We'll talk about all of that next, but first, the word from our sponsor. Do you take millions of photos like me only to let them sit on your phone or get lost in your files? What if you could put all your photos, including those random camera roll pics, onto one gorgeous frame? You can, with a connected frame from Aura. Named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter, The Strategist, and featured in hundreds of gift guides, Aura frames are guaranteed to make mom or grandma or anyone you like or love smile. An Aura frame brings all your photos and videos together in one stunning high-resolution display where mom can really enjoy them, not just through a group text or on social media. Preload any frame with meaningful memories and a special message will appear as soon as set up. Invite the whole family to add to the frame and feel close from anywhere. My favorite thing about the Aura frame is that the photos look like real prints because Aura frames have meticulously calibrated high-resolution displays. Unless you really look closely or see photos in transition, you'd never know it's a screen. Also, it takes only about two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. Super easy. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Legal AF listeners can visit AuraFrames.com to get up to $30 off on their best-selling Carver matte frames. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Plus, listeners can get a free shipping with code LegalAF at checkout. Thanks, Aura Frames, for sponsoring our podcast. And we're back. And uh, thank you to Aura Frames for that. Let's talk about E. Jean Carroll and the case. I know we, you and I have been following it closely. Again, another case. I know people are frustrated, but another case that's not televised. It's not... It will not be on television, as they say. Uh, instead, we're getting good reporting from those that are in the room. And then we then apply our own magic of being practicing attorneys that that try cases in courtrooms just like this one, including the Southern District of New York Federal Court. And uh, we talk about it from our perspective of what we think is happening in the room. Let me kind of frame it a little bit, then I'll turn it over to you, Karen, for what uh, what you've learned and kind of update where we were from last week and some assumptions that we made that may or may not have been accurate or, you know, we're, 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 um, we have our big, big adult pants on. And, and if we're wrong about something, we're going to say we're wrong. And if we're right about something, we're going to remind you that we were right. <laughs> That's how this show operates. So let me start from where we are. We have E. Jean Carroll, um, who's already completed her testimony and I thought did a masterful job. A, it was obvious that she's telling the truth that this is memories that are seared into her memory. If she is tracking exactly what she has said without almost any deviation for the last number of years, almost dating back to 1996. We now have a date for this, spring of 1996. We'll talk about the witness who actually dates this, the closest we've ever heard as happening in the evening on a Thursday night in, in spring of 1996 
at the woman's department section, the woman's store of Bergdorf Goodman's. I always forget when I talk about that department store, it's really two department stores, one across from the other, one's a men's and the other one's uh, a ladies. The, the woman's department store is where lingerie is, obviously, and what transpired there. She not only did well in her direct examination about being attacked by Donald Trump in the dressing room and the specifics of how she was attacked. But she also did a masterful job in counterpunching during the cross-examination to make better and new points in front of the jury. A jury that according to court watchers is riveted by everything involving E. Jean Carroll and her witnesses, meaning they are focused on her not on Joe Tacopina, who's done a lot of the cross-examination, but not all of the cross-examination. We'll talk about the arrival of Perry Brandt, who I talked about in a hot take from the Midwest, all the way from Kansas City. They flew him in special to do one cross-examination so far. Well, and we'll talk about how that went. These witnesses, because they're telling the truth, have also been amazingly prepared for their moment in the courtroom by the lawyers for E. Jean Carroll. You can tell because they are ready in the in the counterpunching. First of all, they're smarter than the lawyers that are cross-examining them. Let me just put that on the record. E. Jean Carroll, Lisa Birnbach, the famous um, author who testified in support of E. Jean Carroll. We're gonna hear from Carol Martin, a well-respected longtime newscaster here in New York. They're just smarter than the other people and they're telling the truth. They have an added combination. Or as I half joked on a hot take, it's it's you know the magic trick where the the woman is sawed in half by the magician. We are watching women sawing the defense in half in re, in real time. All of them. We had a motion for mistrial because how do I how do I make this sound um, legit? Because the judge has been mean to Joe Tacopina. I mean that's the best I can put it. He can't answer. He can't ask a properly formed question. He doesn't know how to properly cross examine. And then when the judge calls him out on it or reinforces something that the witness just said and tells Takapina to move on, that's prejudice. That's not prejudice, okay? There's no such thing as a perfect trial. You just get a fair trial. And so far, it's been it's been exceedingly fair for Donald Trump, who's decided not to come. Mistrial denied. We'll talk about the, the act of making a mistrial motion so early in the case and what that indicates. And then we've got witnesses that came on later, including Lisa Birnbach, an award-winning author, who is the first witness, Karen, who can definitively say that in real time, within five to seven minutes of the attack, E. Jean Carroll reported it to a friend on the phone in, in Lisa Birnbach, who, who dates it also as being in spring of 1996 in the evening, which, which totally fits with E. Jean Carroll's testimony. And we'll talk about her testimony and the announcement now and I want to hear your view of the permanent empty chair. Donald Trump is not coming through the, the doors of the courtroom. He's not going to appear to this jury. He's he's going to phone it in with deposition transcripts being read and videos being played. And that's going to be his defense in his case. So that's that's my breathless presentation. Talk about where you were last week, where you are this week and what you've read about the case and your predictions about how the how the plaintiff is doing and how the defense is doing. Yeah, so last Wednesday, a week ago, uh, I think that was the first day E. Jean Carroll testified on in trial. And I made the mistake of uh, relying on Twitter 
uh, recitations of the testimony because we didn't have access to the transcripts yet, right? It was, it was something that um, a mistake that I, I made and will not make again because obviously, you know, it, Twitter limits you to a certain number of characters and and you don't get the full story and it's only what whoever the person is, you know, wants to say. So I have since been able to obtain the transcripts and actually read them. Uh, and I will tell you, um, even though you don't get to see a person's face or see their demeanor or hear their tone, I mean, boy, did those, did that, did the demeanor and tone and context come through with those, uh, it, with those transcripts. And, you know, I have to say, I find it's a total head scratcher, but I guess in a good way for E. Jean Carroll. Why would they have put Joe Tac, made Joe Tacopina, uh, be the person cross-examining E. Jean Carroll? I mean, he is just, you know, a bull, first of all, he's a bull in a china shop, but second of all, he's just, He's he's almost like an exhibit. He's like exhibit A of why women don't come forward and report that they've been sexually assaulted. Because number one, you're going to be attacked by somebody like him. You're going to be accused of lying. You're going to be asked questions like, you know, why didn't you scream and you didn't report it to the police? And, you know, it's it's a horror. It's like being violated a second time. And, you know, it's just a horrible experience. And and I, I really think it is going to set back sexual assault, uh, sexual assault victims um, and survivors uh, in a way, because anyone who reads that and reads what happened there, especially with a very, with someone like Donald Trump, who's obviously you know much more powerful than E. Jean Carroll by virtue of who he is—not just his size and that he's a man, but just his his power and influence. I mean, who would go come forward? You know, I, it's it's got to be hard, a really hard decision to do because you're putting your whole life. Uh, out there and you know you're going to be questioned about all the things you did and didn't do you know why did you um go into the dressing room with him why were you giggling you know really he was able to pull your tights down and and you know it's just i, I don't know it was just kind of sickening actually reading it and i felt terrible for e Jean carroll but frankly she seemed to hold her own i mean she really did hold her own and i give her so much credit for her strength and composure and her ability to reply and respond to his offensive questions and his really offensive cross-examination. And frankly, if, if that's how I felt, I can't imagine how the jury must feel. So see, cause, cause I, mine, my, mine was just a reading of the cold words, but someone seeing her face and seeing her demeanor and watching her and watching him, I think that, you know, that is just not going to bode well for Trump, which makes me happy, obviously. Um, so, you know, I think I think she's doing really well. I think she's holding up. I hope she's, you know, of course, I always worry emotionally. Like, I, I just can't imagine how that must have felt, um, you know, just being on the stand for three full days and having to describe in excruciating detail this horrific thing that happened to her and, you know, and then to be... Um, and then to be questioned the way she was questioned. Um, you know, they even, he even said something to her, but you know, but you call the police, you know how to call the police. You called the police once when kids vandalized a mailbox, you know, and he just, he clearly doesn't know the shame that so many women 
you know, place on themselves when they are victims of sexual assault. You know, there there is a shame, and especially she did a good job describing that. This was be way before the Me Too movement. This was in the early '90s, and she comes from a different generation where people like her didn't go to the police if something like this happened. You know, and it really was a, a different time. And I think she did a really good job explaining that. Um, but, you know, it's just she blamed herself like so many women do. You know, what did I do to lead him on? What did I, you know, there, you go through all this mental ma machinations about, you know, how come I did all the what ifs I didn't do? And, you know, she, she was just awful. You know, she was so upset. She was, you know, and then the, the witness that testified next that I thought were that testified that was really powerful as well was was Lisa Birnbach, who who you uh, mentioned. Um, and she was allowed to testify because there's a um, a concept, a legal concept that in criminal cases as well, it's called a prompt outcry witness. So that's um, it's 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 an exception to the hearsay rule because normally an out of court statement, which is offered for the truth of the matter asserted, which is what was done here, is normally not allowed in uh, in court because it's hearsay. But this is an exception to hearsay because really it's not offered for the truth, it's offered for the fact that it was said. And there it's it's because, you know, she, people explain why they don't go to law enforcement, why they don't go to the police, et cetera. But typically you'll, you tell your best friend or you would tell a friend. And if you did do that close in time, that's consistent with it actually having, having happened. So she was her prompt outcry witness. And she said that the way she described E. Jean Carroll, that she sounded breathless, she was hyperventilating, she was emotional. Her voice was all sorts of different things. And she just kept saying, he pulled down my tights, he pulled down my tights, you know, she was clearly still processing it because it happened to her. And, and, you know, Bernbach remembers this because she said she was feeding her young kids. She was in the kitchen at the time. And she walked out of the room to have to whisper to E. Jean, who said, you know, E. Jean, he raped you, go to the police. And, and, and E. Jean said, you know, I'm not going to the police and don't ever speak of this again. You know, I don't ever want to talk about this again. You know, this is not something that, that we talked about back then. You bury it and you go forward, you know? And, and anyway, I just thought that was just the way she testified um, about that. I mean, there is no doubt in this jury's mind uh, in minds uh, that this actually happened in an empty chair. He doesn't even show up for it. So there is no other side. There's only, this is not a, he said, she said, this is a, she said. And so the jury is going to, I think, you know, have no other um, option in a good way, but to find for, for the plaintiff. Um, and then, I, and then there was Jessica Leeds who testified yesterday. Um, she's now 81 years old, you know, and I, I would just love to see her her testimony. She's talking about how uh, Trump, you know, they assaulted her on an airplane uh, sitting in first class in the late 70s, how he was groping her out of the blue. There was no conversation. There was no anything. He just turns around and starts to grab her breasts. Yeah, she I think it was 80s, by the way, but yes. Was it the 80s? Oh, I don't know why I thought yeah. it happened in the late yeah, She's 70s. in her 80s, but it was 80s, yeah. Okay, so anyway, um, but you know, she was describing how, how he had like 40 zillion hands and you know, it was just very consistent with his Access Hollywood statement that you can just 
do anything to a woman without even asking. And that's just his mindset. That's what he bragged about doing on that tape in 2016. That's what he did to, you know, miss, miss Leeds. And clearly that's what he did to E. Jean Carroll. So I think, I think that, you know, uh, I think that this trial is going to result in a judgment for E. Jean Carroll without a doubt, and it should. And Trump will forever be branded a rapist. Even though it's civil, it's still a rape. But you know what this will do to him, if anything, and his followers and his standing is, you know, I have no idea. Your guess is as good as anybody's, but yeah. Um, I'm not worried about uh, yeah. I'm not worried about his followers because no. I'm hoping it'll really, yeah, but I'm hoping it'll yeah. it'll change things. I no, hate I, that. Yeah, go on. No, 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 no. That's my point. My point is his followers are long gone. You're aiming for the independents and the women who have not made up their mind between the abortion, um, the abortion decision on his watch with his justices and his position and this. I mean, I don't. I, you know, if he lost by seven million, which he did to Joe Joe Biden, I don't know how he doesn't lose by nine million. I actually welcome him being the candidate on the other side. Um, but let me let me just I'll give you the two most powerful moments for me so far in the trial that I think will sear in the minds of all the jurors, including the one that we've already identified as being somebody who gets all of his information from right wing podcasts. Still, there are facts that are being developed in that courtroom and law to which that has to be applied. And I think the rest of them will gang up on him and get to a unanimous jury, which is what's required for federal court and a civil side. Lisa Birnbach made it clear, not only she dated this in a way that E. Jean Carroll was like 95 or 96, but it happened in the evening during evening hours when there were very few people in um, Bergdorf Goodman to answer Joe Tacopina's opening about how incredible and incredulous it is that in this department store teeming with people, he was making it out to be Walmart in the grocery section during the day before Thanksgiving. And I agree with Joe that if that's where it happened, it would, it would be a little bit odd. But a lingerie department buried off the back on whatever floor in the woman's section, evening hours, where there's usually one or two women tops there to begin with. Yeah, that could have happened, Joe. And that's, and we and have a date now. And in the dressing room of that area. Yeah, exactly. And there's, by the way, I've gone shopping. You can't find a, you can't find a salesperson in that section or any of those sections. So that goes out the window. So she dates it, but this is the powerful testimony. Two, two things that, of course, happened that I think if they remember anything from the trial, it's going to be E. Jean Carroll saying in, in response to cross-examination by a ham-fisted, mansplaining, insensitive Joe Tacopina, it doesn't matter whether I, I screamed, I was raped by your client. I'm paraphrasing, but that's powerful. And Lisa Birnbach reminding everybody, my 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 uh, my friend tells the truth, and I'm telling the truth. And she wasn't attacked by the president of the United States. She was attacked by a real estate developer who who uh, uh, lout around town who had a history of harassing women. That's the Donald Trump that attacked my friend. And Lisa went on to say, and I know Donald Trump because just before the attack. I went down at his invitation to Mar-a-Lago. Just shows you how incestuous this this level of of um, celebrity is in New York, where they hang out in the lanes, you know, the old restaurant and 
people from writers and actors and sports heroes and developers and real estate people, they all know each other. She was at Mar-a-Lago doing an interview with him. You know, she's lucky she didn't get attacked like the one of the witnesses we're going to hear from, Natasha Stoinoff uh, from People Magazine, when she was attacked doing a puff piece down at Mar-a-Lago on that marriage. So that was very powerful. He wasn't attacked by the president of the United States, like a statesman. He was attacked by a, a guy, you know, a footloose guy in Manhattan who was a lout, who was known for mistreating women. That's who attacked my friend. That was a very great comeback on her point. Why they used for Jessica Leeds, the, the former stockbroker who testified about her being groped by 70 billion hands of Donald Trump, which they tried to spin in the courtroom as he was trying to pick her up, which is crazy talk, crazy talk, and gave her an easy opening to say, no, that's not what happened. He has sexually attacked me. She also said, got out on the stand, that he ran into her again at a fundraiser after that attack at another department store in New York. You think everything happens at department stores in Manhattan, but at Saks Fifth Avenue of all places, where he went, he left his wife, went over to her, and her testimony was said, Oh, I remember you. You're the C word I met on the plane. She got to say that because it's true out loud in front of that jury. Then they ran the clip, shows you how masterful the presentation of this case is, of him at a rally using the exact same language that he used against E. Jean Carroll to deny that happened. If I was going to do that, she's not my type, or it would have been better, or whatever he said. And they ran that clip as well. And look at the sequencing, because you and I are trial lawyers. People think it's just, I don't know, random selection. But you and I, when we do trial trials, we sequence our witnesses in a way that we think will be most powerful. And so they're not even putting together, let's say, two witnesses who both were told simultaneously about the event back to back from E. Jean Carroll. Because if you were gonna do that, you do Lisa Birnbach and then you do Carol Martin, the newscaster who was friends with E. Jean Carroll who also heard contempt, but they didn't do that. They're breaking up those witnesses and they're putting in between other women who got attacked so that the jury under the under the um, the science of recency, you know, primacy and recency that you they want to put these facts so the jury doesn't lose sight of them and spread them out and put in the middle other really bad facts against Donald Trump. So they took Lisa Birnbach. Then they took Bergdorf Goodman, another executive for Bergdorf Goodman. Then they brought in um, uh, Jessica Leeds, the woman on the plane who was attacked, and, so, and then Carol Martin, and then psychologists, and then, and then, and then. And then nothing on the other side, as you said, Karen. It'll be... A, a series of playing video from his deposition, which the best he can do is it was a hoax. It was a lie. I didn't do it. That wasn't me. After the jury has already heard seven or eight days of consistent evidence. Being and he's presented allowed by to put in his own deposition? Well, he's allowed to put counter in, counter in for what they present. So Robbie Kaplan's team, who's doing a masterful job, it's Mike Ferrara and Sean Crowley so far on his team, and a th I think a third lawyer for th their team, against Joe Tacopina. Why? Here's another one, Karen. Why did they double down on Joe Tacopina? He did terrible against E. Jean Carroll, and they used him to cross-examine 
Jessica Leeds, the woman attacked on the plane. I don't understand. Why? That you know what? Maybe they think this is effective. Maybe this is, I mean, think about it. This is their worldview. This is, this is Donald Trump's worldview. He doesn't respect women. He thinks he can do whatever he wants sexually. He thinks he certainly doesn't believe in, um, in women and consent and being able to, you know, say no. I mean, he, to him, that doesn't, so to him, the fact that Joe Tacopina is saying all the things that he's saying, and, and make, I bet he reads these transcripts and says, wow, he's right. This is great, you know, because that's his worldview. But, but what he's missing, and thank God for E. Jean Carroll's side of the case, what he's missing is being in the room and watching how this is landing on the jury. You and I, when we present a case to a jury, I am watching the body language of the jury. And frankly, I know whether I got them or I lost them relatively early on from body language and for things that they're doing. I mean, I once had a jury or the, for the other side where where uh, five of the jurors sat on one side and the other, they left one juror by themselves. And we knew, uh-oh, something's up. Like, this I, jury's I had, not getting getting I, along. I, I, but wait, I, let, me just, let, let, let me make this one point about the, about the Trump. Trump not being in the room is getting reports from his trial team at the end of the day. And he's reading these self-selected things from friendly places like Newsmax or whatever. He's not getting, because he's not there, what's really going down. The jury hates Joe Tacopina from what I can from what I can intuit in 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 that and is following credibly E. Jean Carroll. He would make changes if he knew about them, but he's not there. And that's on him. I don't know. I think he's I think he's egotistical enough to think I'm not going to, you know, whatever, this is how I want it done, period. And I, I don't, you know, and if, and, and then if he loses, he'll just say, you know, it was, it was, it wasn't fair. It was rigged. You know, he, he's just, he's so, he, he doesn't, he, anyway, he, there's just something wrong with that man. And so he, he wants things done his way. And then when it doesn't go his way, it's everybody else's fault. It was stolen. It was rigged. It was, you know, he's got a script. And he uses it no matter what the scenario. And yeah. so that's what he'll do here. It, it's pre-written. It's pre-written. Know, the, jury was, exactly. the jury was racist or whatever. Yeah. And whatever. then we'll have to see and we'll follow before we go to our next segment on Jack Smith. We'll follow, you know, the continuing mystery of what is going on with Alina Haba, who's just sitting there like some sort of prop at the council table, has not even got up to do anything. Even at the moment where I thought, okay, well, maybe she'll cross-examine Lisa Birnbach. That's that's not, nope, Perry Brandt, the lawyer they brought in 72 hours before the trial, who knows nothing about the case. He, he's the custom cross-examiner. He, By the way, he did terrible. He did terrible. She counterpunched him mercilessly, senseless. I thought it was like, if I was a referee, it would have been a TKO knockout for that witness and, and still sits. Alina Haba, you and I will follow that. And yeah. on the next segment, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you. no, no. I was just going to say, Michael Cohen um, said in the political beatdown that I caught, you know, he said that Alina Haba um, uh, um, asked him questions in his deposition this week in front of the New York Attorney General, and he said she did a really good job. So that surprised That's me. I've never heard. Yeah, I've never heard anyone say that. And I thought, well, okay, if she's you know, able to at least somewhat competently ask questions. Why isn't she, yeah. to your point, why isn't she doing the cross-examinations of these women? Because well, these men just turn, you know, are coming across I, terribly. 
I can't speak for Michael Cohen, and I know he has taken the position that she didn't do a bad job at his deposition that broke out in the New York Attorney General civil fraud case and called the witness there. I did read her transcript or the parts that were revealed and filed in the E. Jean Carroll case in the deposition of E. Jean Carroll, and I did not think that she did a very good job on that. But we'll have to see. I'm not going to you and I are not the master trial strategist for Donald Trump and let him Thank fail God. on his own on his own route. The next segment, we're going to talk about somebody who is doing very, very well, who is Jack Smith, who's prosecuting Donald Trump and investigating him at least three or four grand juries down in Washington. But before we get there, let's have a word from a couple of our sponsors. And now let's take a quick break to talk about our next partner, Green Chef. Green Chef has expanded their menu. Now choose from 30 recipes weekly with the option to mix and match meals from different dietary preferences in the same box without changing your plan. This means you can order vegan one day and then keto the next. Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating well with dinners that work for you, not the other way around. Bring more flavor to your table this spring with Green Chef's wholesome elevated recipes featuring seasonal organic produce and unique farm fresh ingredients. Eat well without having to sacrifice taste. Also, Green Chef is the only meal kit that is both carbon and plastic offset. Green Chef offsets 100% of their carbon footprint as well as 100% of the plastic in every box. My wife and I absolutely love Green Chef because of how easy it is to cook the meals and how delicious each meal is. Our favorite recipe is the Parmesan crusted chicken. It is incredible. Go to greenchef.com slash LegalAF60 and use code LegalAF60 to get 60% off plus free shipping. That's greenchef.com slash LegalAF60 and use code LegalAF60 to get 60% off plus free shipping. Our next sponsor this week is Highland Titles. At HighlandTitles.com, you can become a Lord or Lady of Glencoe for less than $50. Now, thanks to a quirk in Scottish law, you can buy one square foot of land in Scotland as a gift. Highland Titles has been selling these plots of land for 16 years and have more than over 300,000 happy customers. They use their profits to manage the land as a nature reserve, and the Highland Titles Nature Reserve near Glencoe is one of the most popular nature reserves in Scotland. People travel from all over the world to find their very own plot of land. You get a personalized luxury gift pack and help conserve the beautiful Scottish Highlands at the same time. Now, Highland Titles literally spread ownership of the land amongst thousands of people. It makes it impossible for developers like mm, Donald Trump to turn the landscape into a golf course. It's a really cool gift that makes land ownership a possibility for everyone. You can use the discount code LegalAF to get 20% off at HighlandTitles.com. With your purchase, you get a fully personalized, instantly available digital download with access to a dashboard where you can check out the webcams and the exact distance you are from your plot at any time. Just head to highlandtitles.com and use code LegalAF to get 20% off at checkout. And now back to the video. And we're back. So let's talk about Jack Smith, everybody's favorite prosecutor. He's like Batman, you barely see him, but he's out there. In fact. ABC News, and I'll post it on my Twitter, did a very good job of describing the dozen or so prosecutors, where they came from, that work with Jack Smith, where they came from, who he considers to be his his right-hand deputy, which is Tom, Tom uh, Wyndham, and the rest for each of the juries. And I think that's very, very interesting. We won't cover it here. Um, it's a little bit too much detail, but I will I will put it up on my uh, either the chat tonight or in Twitter. 
because there is a Jack Smith and he does have a team of federal prosecutors and investigators that since they were, have been appointed and even before that under Merrick Garland have been doing nothing other than, and you know this well when you work on a big prosecution, Karen, eating, sleeping, drinking from the moment they wake up in the morning till their head hits the pillow on vacations with their family, all they are doing is focused and concentrated, especially when it comes to a case like this one of Donald Trump, about Donald Trump every moment. And then every time he social media posts and his kids attack people and prosecutors and FBI, all it does is piss everybody off and make them redouble their efforts to do the best job they can to bring this person to justice. That's my view. Jack Smith, to update, three or four grand juries. We talk about him a lot on Legal AF for the people that are just joining us. One is about Mar-a-Lago and the stolen and misappropriated documents and obstruction related to that and potential Espionage Act violations related to that. That one's about done and charging decisions should be coming any day now. The others deal with Jan 6th and everything leading into Jan 6th, the insurrection, the clinging to power, and the interference with the election and the will of the people, Donald Trump at the center of that conspiracy. Then we've got the fundraising grift, using raising money, separating donors from their money on the back of a lie a lie that Donald Trump knew or should have known was untrue, that the election was stolen from him. So we have that one. And then sort of things related to all of that. And a whole, really every, every White House, West Wing, um, chief of staff, deputy chief of staff, deputy, deputy chief of staff, communications director, um, aide, lawyer, you name it, has been stripped of any privilege whatsoever including in one in, in the most important way, the former vice president of the United States and have either testified, will testify, or are targets and may not testify against Donald Trump. And he and every day there's a new person being stripped of privilege and the next day or days later being brought in before a grand jury. And this has gone on, you know, for like the last three to four months without end. The newest one is one tiny layer right below Mark Meadows, the chief of staff. And that's Dan Scavino, who has been, he's the oldest, he's the longest serving aide to Donald Trump, dating back to get this, Karen, he was a caddy for Donald Trump. That was it. He was a caddy for Donald Trump. And he started as a caddy. He ended up being the deputy chief of staff under Mark Meadows, and the social media director, basically every time you saw something on Twitter, it was either Donald Trump or Dan Scavino. Dan Scavino refused to testify to the Jan 6 committee. They voted to hold him in contempt. The Department of Justice, as people will recall, made a prosecutorial discretionary decision not to prosecute Mark Meadows or Dan Scavino because of old DOJ, DOJ memos and guidelines about the executive privilege that we won't even go over for today. But that hasn't stopped Jack Smith from stripping Dan Scavino of any executive privilege, getting his phone, re reviewing all his text messages and emails, and really every room that Mark Meadows was in, every room, Dan Scavino was close behind. And he's gone in now and testified already. So we have that development. Talk about from a prosecutor standpoint, um, former prosecutor standpoint, Karen, what you make of Scavino. Are we going to see Meadows? 
Do we need Meadows to conclude these prosecutions? And where you think we are, if we're using a football field analogy, where are we in these prosecutions, especially the ones that would relate to the testimony of Pence and Scavino and the others? And how soon, we're in, we're in May, how soon do you think we're going to see the charging recommendation from um, uh, Jack Smith to Merrick Garland, which is the route it has to take for these various prosecutions? I wouldn't be surprised if the Mar-a-Lago one is already being reviewed, uh, the documents one, if, that's al- if that recommendation is already gone um, to Merrick Garland, frankly. Um, as far as the, the Mark Meadows, uh, Dan Scavino, you know, the, the, the one you just talked about, that one seems to be at the finish line, right? Because Mike Pence testified uh, in front of that grand jury. And, you know, he's sort of the, the, the top of the top, right? He's the first vice president in the history of, of this country to uh, testify in a, grand, a criminal grand jury. Uh, especially against a former president. And, you know, and so the question is, you, you know, and, you, and you, you work your way up in the grand jury, typically. So that that tells me we're at the end or near the end. And as you said, Dan Scavino is, is somebody who is really a key witness in all things Donald Trump, because he's really his right hand person. And so I think I think that that's going to wrap up a lot of information before the grand jury. And the question about Mark Meadows keeps coming up about whether or not he's going to be called to testify. And, and I, I, have a, I just have a, an opinion about it that is, um, is very particular. And that is, I don't think he will. And the reason I don't think he will is because I think he's a target. I think he's one of the people who on January 6th, you know, if you, if you remember Cassidy Hutchinson's um, testimony before the January 6th committee, I mean, Mark Meadows is a co-conspirator, right? He's in some ways as much of, as much, I shouldn't say he's as much, but he's, he's definitely potentially culpable as well. And so I think they have to make a decision. Are they going to charge him or not? I mean, and if they are going to charge him and they are a target, it's against DOJ policy to call a target, to to subpoena a target to a grand jury. Now, um, this is a policy it's entitled or it's it's found in 9-11.150 and it's in doj policies policy manual and it's called subpoenaing targets of the investigation and it says a grand jury may properly subpoena a subject or a target of an investigation and question the target about his or her involvement okay so that is possible right but in the context of of the case law that that this section cites, uh, a subpoena may carry the appearance of unfairness. And because of the potential for misunderstanding uh, in the grand jury, and because that's great, before a known target is subpoenaed to testify before the grand jury, basically you have to get your supervisor's supervisor's permission, et cetera. And you know, Ben talked about giving derivative use immunity to Mark Meadows. And what that means is people call it use and fruits immunity, which means you can't use those statements against him or anything derived from those statements at trial. 
Um, and that is possible, but it's tricky because so so one way, for example, that they would do it is they would um, they would call him last so that there would be no chance that anything that was presented to the grand jury was derived from his statements, from his compelled statements, his immunized statements. So that's that's one way they could do it. But then you get into a situation, a trial, where you do have to prove that anything you were using against him was not derived from his statements. And so it just, it's a little tricky. It's, I think that it's questionable whether they would do that with Meadows. I mean, do they need Meadows? I mean, one of the things that this policy says is in determining whether or not to approve a subpoena for a target, pay attention to the, these three things, you know, how important is uh, this testimony to the grand jury, right? Um, whether the substance of the testimony or other information could be provided by other witnesses and whether the questions the prosecutor and grand jurors intend to ask, um, is it protected by a privilege? And so, you know, it's, it's, it's not just a done deal that you can do it. And so do they really need Meadows and the grand jury? I don't know. Um, so I just think it'll be interesting to see if they do in fact uh, end up calling him, give him der derivative use immunity, and end up charging him. Uh, so that that's, I think, where we are with him. So yeah. your you know question, what? You, a long way wait, of wait, saying. Wait. Yeah, good. No, just do the wrap up. A long way of saying <laughs> that we're at the finish line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I liked uh, co-anchoring two shows, one on Wednesday with you and one on Saturday with Ben, because on the Ben show, I can be told I'm half wrong. And on the Wednesday show, you can rehabilitate me and say I may be right <laughs> about Meadows. Because I said on the Saturday show that I think that Vice President Pence, former Vice President Pence's testimony, was sort of the last witness. Um, that To me, that signaled that they were going to, as you outlined, they may already be making their charging recommendation to, to Merrick Garland in that area. And, and Ben said, what about Meadows? I think Meadows may. And then you and I had an offline chat about that where I totally deferred to you and the DOJ manual, which I love when we are able to cite something like that. We will see. And people are on the edge of their seat to see yeah, we could, I mean, who's we right, Karen, Ben, or Michael. Yeah, we could I mean, all be wrong. Yes. <laughs> yes. These are all, the bottom line is being a prosecutor is as much of a judgment call as anything else, right? Yeah. You're, you're, these are all That's judgment right. calls. So, And we only have half information. You know, we only have what we, you know, the, the everything that we can glean from all the you yeah. know, news reporting, et cetera. So, so who knows? Well, well and, and, and let me put, and let me, uh, that's a very good point. So that people understand, I think they do from where we come from. We operate as legal commentators with a little bit of informational asymmetry. We fill in that asymmetry, picture it as a ball. We're, we get about half the ball or maybe three quarters. We then dotted line the rest of the ball based on our experience, our judgment that has come from 30 plus years or 20 plus years experience in Ben's case of trial practice and what really happens in courtrooms, what really happens in prosecutors making decisions and defense lawyer strategy and tactics and vice versa. That's how we fill in that. And then we bring that to you, hopefully in an entertaining way. But we could be wrong. So when we talk about stuff, it's our judgment and opinion 
based on facts and data points that have been developed for us, for which we are providing commentary. That's the show. That's the DNA. That's the secret sauce of the show. And and we're going to keep doing it every week, twice a week. We curate what we think are the most important stories for you to know at the intersection of law and politics, that politically charged place that we like to talk about. And then Karen, Ben, and me do what we call hot takes during the day. We Sometimes you'll see us six, seven, eight times a day doing in 10 or 15 minute short bursts what's going on at that real time moment and some deeper analysis that we don't have time to do on a show like this. And so if you want to follow what we're doing and make sure this content comes to you uninterrupted, it's easy and it's all free. Hit the thumbs up on this YouTube presentation of our audio podcast. Um, Leave a comment and we read them and we sometimes talk back to them. We go into live chat, as you know, from tonight, but leave a comment, five-star review when you're doing it, uh, when you're doing it uh, on the podcast side. And if you are a watcher of all things Midas Touch and Legal AF, go over and listen to the audio version on all places you can get your audio from because it helps. That kind of cross-fertilization of our viewers listening and our listeners viewing, that helps us. Helps the algorithms, helps keep us be a top-rated program and keeps that content coming to you straight uh, the way we do it every week. We have a merchandise store that we'll put up the link for. If you're if you're a big fan and you want to wear a a legal AF t-shirt, long sleeve tee or t-shirt, or carry a coffee mug. You can get it from the Midas Touch uh, store.midastouch.com. And you can follow all of the anchors on their own individual social media. And mine is at MS Popak. Karen's is, uh-oh, did we lose Karen? No, I have to find my mute button. At, oh. K- at KFA Legal. At KFA Legal. Uh, and then Ben is uh, Ben. I'll have to give his own. I'm not. <laughs> I don't have it. I don't have it handy. But uh, that's the end of our midweek edition of Legal AF. You can catch us on all the hot takes in between, in between these moments, and then a, a show, of course, that we do the anchor show on Wednesday with Ben Mycellus and me, Karen. Final words from your Saturday remote location. with you and Ben. Saturday with you and Ben. Wednesday's Saturday. Up. What did I? What did I, I get it backwards? It's fine. So stays in the pod. <laughs> stays in the pod. Um, yeah. So so I am off to have paella for dinner to give you a hint of where I am. <laughs> oh, that's so good. You're in the Bronx. <laughs> <laughs> something, something like that. Well, we appreciate it. Listen, uh, people are always uh, giving kind of funny but uh, respectful comments in our social media about Ben. You need to take a nap. You, how do you do it? Popak, these late night, Karen, it's, it, we, you guys never stop. We never have other anchors stepping in for each other. And, uh, you know, we're heading into vacation season, so we're trying to take some additional time off. But we, listen, have microphone, have AirPods, we'll travel. And we try to jump on these things. I'm taking a bit of a holiday later in the week, but we're going to find a way to get me back on the air, Karen back on the air when she's back from taking a well-earned break, mental break from all things political and legal. But, you know, that's our commitment to you on the Midas Touch Network, that we're going to, as long as there's news to report in the legal and political sphere, we're going to be there to do it uh, hourly, weekly, and daily. And that's where we're at. So, Karen, I look forward to seeing you, not this coming Wednesday, but I'll catch you on the flip side on the, on the following Wednesday and then with Ben 
on this Saturday. This is Michael Popak, Karen Freeman, Nick Niffalo, signing off for Legal AF. <laughs>